Welcome to the Hire with Confidence podcast, presented by People to You. This is the show for employees looking to gain a performance edge through quality people solutions, as well as job seekers looking for new employment opportunities. Today, we will use the lens of football to explore the topic of multiculturalism in Australia from both a sporting and employment perspective. You know, football is a sport that has been underfunded, and I think, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. You, you, you get this you know football community united and you invest more in it I, I think it really has the potential to um, you know deliver great outcomes for this country and just yeah, produce better athletes and, and just make Australia a better country. The recent FIFA Women's World Cup showcased the power of football as highlighted by a mighty Matildas and their stunning performances on the world stage which unified an entire nation. Well-renowned media professional David Davudovich sits down with us to talk about Australian football and multiculturalism. With an extensive knowledge of our footballing landscape as displayed in the award-winning podcast titled Football Belongs, Australia's Football Identity, we are super excited to have him on our show to explain the benefits of Australia's multicultural society on field and in the workplace. So, let's kick off and get rolling. I'm your host, Rebecca Miller, and on behalf of people to you, we would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of a country throughout Australia and pay our respects to Elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Rightio, well let's go straight from the top, Dave. Hosting a major sporting event like the FIFA Women's World Cup uh, involves a lot of collaboration between various stakeholders. Can you help explain the different partnerships and strategies that were instrumental in achieving and getting this event to our shores? It was a long process, Beck, and uh, I think you have to start, you know, back in, it was 2017 when Stephen Lowy and then Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull actually decided to bid um, for the World Cup and, and Malcolm Turnbull, you know, despite all the backlash from that um, 2010 campaign, actually unlocked some government funds uh, for Australia to launch a bid for the FIFA Women's World Cup. Then once they got the World Cup, obviously that the, the work began. And yep. a bit like the Asian Cup in 2015, like I think the lead up was pretty low key. Yeah, I, don't I think, would agree. Yeah, I don't think people realised how big it would be. And, and to be honest, even a few weeks out from the World Cup, FIFA Women's World Cup, a lot of people didn't know it was on. No, it was sort of like, where are the posters, where are the ads, where's the promotion? Yeah, and then when you fast forward to now, biggest rating um, TV event ever, you know, eclipsing the great Kathy Freeman moment of 2000, it was quite extraordinary. And especially when you compare the, you know, the relative marketing spend um, to the 2000 Olympics and obviously there was all the hype leading up to the Olympics and the Kathy Freeman race and, you know, she obviously um, was, a, you know, the torchbearer, etc. So really extraordinary and so many ingredients, too many to unpack here. But um, the way that, you know, it was it the, the Matilda's success was, was huge and that I think was a big reason, you know, that we had the record ratings and the feel-good factor. How many games did you get to? I got to seven, all six games in Melbourne, and was lucky enough to get to the semi-final in Sydney. When um, look, sadly the Matildas lost, but Sam Kerr um, scored that outstanding goal. But Russo has her pocket picked, and here's Sam Kerr. She's going to need some support. Kerr running at Bright. Kerr with a shot. Oh, I say that's incredible. It's a moment that everyone will remember where they were. and uh, No, it was, as you say, you had to be living on a rock not to be swept up in it and 
Yeah, it's a huge credit to the Matildas, the way they brought the country together. They're bloody inspirational, the Matildas. They've been such a, a trailblazer for, um, yeah, for football, for women's sport as well. You know, yes. when you look at, I, I think the timing of this World Cup was was perfect. Well, I know the word, the Matildas effect has been thrown around quite a few places and that's also includes us at Tigerland. You know, we want to get on board this wave and ride it. Yeah, it's a powerful, powerful thing, the Matildas effect and you know, long may it continue. Honestly, the, the, all the, you know, conversations and debates about, you know, the code wars and all that, it's it really pisses me off sometimes yeah. because there's enough – we've got issues with obesity mm. and especially off the back of COVID and, and mental health and all that. Like, let's focus on getting those kids into sport and then all the sports will have, you know, plenty of athletes to choose from. Well, I'm so jealous of the young girls these days, you know, when I was young, back in my day, as they say, you know, I probably knew Elise Perry and Lisa Devana. They were yeah. probably the only two female role models I had growing yeah, well. up. And now you look at all the sports that are on TV, on yeah. the radio, on the social media. It's incredible. And, you know, to be honest, it's uh, this will change the face of Australia and the world in terms of how young boys and young men mm. view women. I think that's another... Mm you know, really powerful knock-on effect of this World Cup. I'm playing with my son in the backyard. He just turned five and the World Cup has been, you know, really important for him in terms of his passion for football. He was kind of playing occasionally, but now every day, let's go in the backyard. He wants to be Matildas and then I'm, you know, another team. You know, that, that's, that's beyond sport. I think that that'll be a, another really positive legacy piece from this World Cup. Definitely. I totally agree with that. Obviously, there's been some really great chat about the Women's World Cup and how much of a monumental event it was for Australia and New Zealand, the co-hosts. Can you share some of the key factors that contributed to a success from both a sporting perspective and a business perspective? Football is the world's number one sport. So that's why the bidding rights for a World Cup are so hotly contested. The starting point is if you're hosting a FIFA World Cup, men's or women's, it's going to be massive because it's such a huge sport. Then when you, you know, throw in all the multicultural elements and, you know, all of these communities who got to watch their, you know, their own countries um, in action, there's a real passion attached to it. And, you know, when there's passion attached, there's mm. obviously, you know, it translates into commercial success and, and outcomes. I mean, what this did for... The whole of Australia was huge. I mean, I, I'm not sure they've measured the economic impact, you know, of all the, the bars and pubs and all that. But, um, yeah, I, I think the economic benefits were, you know, were really substantial. The FA is talking now about bidding for a Men's World Cup in future. That would have to be a joint bid potentially with three countries. So okay. it would have to be Australia, New Zealand and a Southeast Asian country. So they're talking wow. about Indonesia potentially. Football can really help drive great outcomes for this country, you know, on and off the field, so to speak, and, and, and certainly commercial outcomes. And they're not just going to benefit football, they're going to benefit other sports. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Now, you obviously mentioned briefly as well, football belongs, and that was just a very casual drop. But it's an, it's an award-winning podcast, Football Belongs. Congratulations on thank the you, award. Thank you, thank you. For those that don't know, definitely listen to Football Belongs, Australia's Football Identity. You can find it on all good podcast directories. You can, and we just did a, uh, a new encore episode with the great John Didelitzer, another man that Benny knows well. The podcast series was launched in 2020, and it's based off John Didelitzer's book with the same title. Yep. 
And the podcast show explores the cultural threads of Australian society through the lens of nine football matches. What prompted you to create this podcast series? It's a good question. And just for context for those people who may have followed the whole Football Belongs series, there was also a video series um, that I was involved with, which was kind of a separate project um, and ran just before this one, but they both ended up overlapping and, you know, the essence of, of both was was very similar. So, as you said, the um, the podcast series was uh, inspired by John Didelitz's or JD's uh, writings um, and we spoke quite a lot about it and I remember him bouncing the ideas around and, and I just thought it was it was a brilliant idea and, and, you know, he's a real, he's a very, very deep thinker. The stories and, and the writings uh, really reflected that. The video series was um, probably 20 plus stories focusing on the contribution of individual nations uh, and, and the European nations and their contribution to Australian football. And that culminated in a, a long form story, a feature film. And we were very proud of that as well. But yeah. The Where can you find that one? Optus Sport. Yeah, Optus Sport YouTube and, uh, yeah, on their app, you can still find it as well. So the long-form one's about 57 minutes, so strap yourself in. But, yeah, a, a piece of work that we were um, we were very, very proud of also. Look, it was it was JD's idea and then, obviously, after the writings, he approached me about the podcast series and I was super keen to do it. And what we tried to do with it with each podcast was have a sporting voice coupled with almost an academic voice because this was about talking about the contribution of Australian football to Australian society and arguing that football had made as strong a contribution to the evolution of this great country as every other sport. You know, to be involved in something like this where, you know, we celebrated, you know, the history, the stories. I mean, you know, multiculturalism was one of the chapters. Um, so it was basically we eight football matches were chosen to, um, to explain explain Australia and explore that intersection and paradox of, you know, football's lasting influence. I think other sports such as AFL, you know, cricket, etc., they do a much better job of acknowledging their past and, and whatnot. But, you know, sadly, a lot of people in the football community still wouldn't know about the Charles Perkins story and his influence on Australian football and Australian society. Um, yeah, so there were many more. I won't, um, you know, go into too much detail, but, you know, multiculturalism, the game we touched on was Australia-Croatia 2006 World Cup. I was there, close to John's heart. His brother was actually born and bred in Australia, ended up being in the squad of the Croatian national team. That actually was the biggest exodus of Australians since World War Two, heading over to... Germany for the World Cup. In most cases to watch the Socceroos, in some cases I'm sure they were, you know, following Croatia and Italy and some of these other nations, but that again gives you an idea of the enormity of this event and how powerful our respective national teams, the Socceroos and the Matildas are. And you know, another one was the legend of Anzac, um, another yes, chapter I love that this we one. we touched on, yeah. A Socceroos team, essentially an under-22s team, was sent to a war zone in, in Vietnam, Saigon, in 1967, like literally playing a game with, you know, bombs going off over the top of them. And, you know, when you, you, you look at Anzac Day, obviously the AFL have done an outstanding job, you know, commemorating Anzac Day, as, as have the NRL. Football, soccer football, absent from the Anzac Day narrative, but you know when you delve into some of these stories and the fact that you know, for instance, I think seventy Victorian soccer players died in battle 
in, in World War One and teams such as Irimple from Mildura lost, you know, nine players. You know, football contributed massively um, to yeah to the Anzac legend. So yeah, I mean these stories they're they're deep. Um, it was an honour to be a part of it. Obviously, yeah, an honour to be part of the, uh, the the podcast series. And uh, yeah, we're obviously delighted to win the award. I would definitely encourage our listeners to to give that podcast a listen. It's so interesting. You've got awesome guests like Tracy Holmes, John Aloisi, and Postacoglu. Thank um, you. Very kind. Very kind. Obviously, we just mentioned Ange coaching over at Tottenham Hotspur in the English Premier League, which is super, super impressive and was big news back here. You know him quite well personally. What is he like? He's intense. He's passionate. He's highly intelligent and he's determined. He's been coaching. He started coaching in 1996. That was his first senior NSL coaching job, the NSL, for those who don't know, National Soccer League was a precursor to the A-League. People in Europe and the UK and particularly England think that Postacoglu has been coaching for two or three years because they kind of don't really follow Australian football. They don't follow Asian or Japanese football, not everyone, but a lot of people. So, But even, you know, once they got up to speed with his success and silverware trophies because he's won trophies wherever he's gone, Correct. they still were quite dismissive because they thought, yeah, well, he hasn't done it in the big leagues. So he's really determined. He reads and follows things. So he would be, you know, across it. I think probably less so now because he just doesn't have the time. I mean, it's the sheer volume of commentary around Ange Postacoglu now is is out of control. Like he would be probably the most talked about manager in world football right now, Mm. which is quite extraordinary. This is it. This is as big as it gets. Plus he has Robbie Williams singing down <laughs> as well. I was at the gym the other morning and there was another guy who was uh, belting out that song <laughs> and then we all just got into it. It was fantastic. <laughs> How With good. Big edge ball. Ball! So you can keep your Pazzicino, Conte and Mourinho, and even Christian Grove. Everywhere we go, I'm loving big Ange Yeah, I uh, I think Ange is on the verge of something pretty special. He will win a trophy at Spurs, and I very well think he will win a league title there. It might take a couple of years, but uh, he's made an outstanding start. So, why does success follow Ange? I just think he's a world-class coach and I don't think we realised it. I think this goes back to if I can plug Football Belongs again for Go a for moment. It. There was a chapter on cultural cringe and we in Australia, we have this inferiority complex sometimes and you know that's the reason why, not all the time, but you know a number of clubs in football or basketball or other sports will appoint a foreign coach because they think they're better, they're superior, they know more about the sport and even when Ange got the Socceroos job back in 2013 like it was a big risk because you know pretty much all the appointments for you know the preceding 20 years had been or the permanent appointments anyway had been foreign coaches so 
and it was almost this expectation that we just appoint foreigners because, you know, they're smarter than us, they're more tactically savvy. Ange absolutely changed those perceptions. Yeah, so I just think he's a world-class coach. I think he would have been a world-class coach in whatever sport he chose. I think he could have been an elite AFL coach, cricket coach. Luckily for football, he chose football, and he's just smashing perceptions. And I think, again, when you talk of legacy and knock-on effects, I think there's a lot of budding young football coaches, male and female, and coaches from other sports who will be inspired by seeing Ange Postacoglu mix it with the best of them uh, over in England. Definitely. And I think there's actually a really good lesson that for, for clients of ours within the manufacturing construction industries. You know, you don't have to look outside. You know, yeah. There's people in your own backyard who, who are capable and have the experience and skills. They just need an opportunity. Correct. So I think that's a really good lesson. Ange, like that basically sums up his coaching. He just loves giving people an opportunity, you know, throwing them into the the deep end. But more often than not, they, they swim. Well, go Ange Ball and uh, can't wait to see him lift up a trophy very shortly, hey? Yeah, it's coming soon. Look out. Now, we've touched, touched on it a fair few times in this episode in terms of multiculturalism within Australia. Australia is one of the most culturally diverse nations in the world. Looking through multiculturalism through the lens of sport, there's over 1.5 million participants of football within Australia as per the 2022 National Participation Report. Give us a bit of an insight of the cross-section of communities involved in this game within Australia. Extraordinary numbers and, you know, it is the biggest sport when you look at those numbers. Mm. It is, you know, in some ways disconnected and, you know, whoever can bring all those people together is, uh, you know, is going to be a very rich man and, or rich woman. But it's, it's, yeah, it's such a powerful sport. And as an example, there's this tournament and it was one of the, the, the videos that we uh, covered in Football Belongs, the annual Australian-Croatian soccer tournament where you'll get, and it's coming up in Adelaide in the first or last week of September, first week of October, you'll get over 20,000 people coming through the gates over four days. Wow. I know the Italians have their own tournament, the Greeks have a tournament, the Afghans have a tournament, uh, usually uh, in the southeast of Melbourne. I attended one year, there was probably 5,000 people watching. The coach of the Afghan national team was here watching, scouting, and obviously that was a big thing for the, for the local community. So football is the thing, you know, as well as, I guess, you know, religion and some of these other institutions, football is the thing that really binds these communities. You know, when I look at, you know, the importance that soccer football has played to my family and myself in terms of assimilating into Australian society, it's been huge. I, I played for a Croatian back soccer club as a kid, Chelsea, which is now Dandenong City. We went to watch Melbourne Knights play, who were in that you know National Soccer League NSL that we spoke of. We saw top players coming through there, Mark Viduka uh, and so many others. You know, and that was the top. That was the A League of the time, and these clubs, you know, invested you know massively into their clubs and it, obviously into um, you know by extension Australian football. So the football has just played such a big role. For my family, and by extension, a lot of these, uh, you know, a lot of these communities here in Australia. So it's it's a unique sport. I think a lot of people probably don't understand it, and I do understand, you know, why. But you know, it's a sport that I think, you know, we've seen the power of it off the back of this World Cup. So you know, I would love to see 
governments, state and federal, invest more in it because I think it is a, a sport and, again, it's not about competing or cannibalising from AFL or cricket or any of the other sports. I think sport needs for more funding full stop. But, you know, football is a sport that has been underfunded and I think, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. You, you, you get this, you know, football community united and you invest more in it, I think it really has the potential to deliver great outcomes for this country and just yeah, produce better athletes and, and just make Australia a better country. One question off script. If you could have one wish following the FIFA Women's World Cup for football in this country, what would it be, Dave? Can I get two? Okay, you caught me at a good moment. All right, great. We win the hosting rights for a Men's World Cup and then we win the hosting rights for the Women's Asian Cup because we can't really get another FIFA Women's World Cup in my lifetime. I wouldn't have thought. So successful sporting teams value every player's unique role within that team. How does this concept reinforce the idea that each employee's contribution, regardless of their background, is vital for a company's success? If you look at sport, every player in the team, in the squad, contributes, Mm -hmm. whether that's on the match day or at training. You know, the attitude of, if you look at the World Cup squad, there were 23 players in the the Matilda squad. They only used about 15 or 16. They should have used more. That's a conversation for another day. If the attitude of player 23, 22, 21, 20 was off, they wouldn't have got to the semifinals. The importance of team and just, you know, the, the morale, the culture driving those standards is absolutely crucial. Everyone, you know, plays a role, obviously, you know, in a workforce. You have your managers and your hierarchy and whatnot, but everyone plays a role. In terms of multiculturalism and, and diversity, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting one. And, I mean, just to go back to a point earlier, we are one of the most multicultural countries in the world. Andrew Weir... Um, the academic and author who we got on the on the multicultural episode, he actually wrote a book called Solved and he used Australia, he painted Australia as an example of the world's most successful multicultural story, multicultural success story if you like. The more we embrace multiculturalism, it, it's not... It's not straightforward, but yeah, the more we embrace it, the more we embrace diversity and diverse workplaces, the the better we'll be. Where we are at as a country, I think, yes, um, multiculturalism can be challenging at times, but I I think what a country we live in and Mm. uh, yeah, I think the more we embrace it, the better we'll be. Diversity is just such a strength to have on any team. What lessons can we apply from Australian football to the workplace in terms of identity and representation? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, I, I sort of touched on it a little bit earlier, but, yeah, just, just that respect and understanding of, you know, of the different cultures and nationalities. I mean, like, again, I, I just I, I love the fact that football can be a great equaliser. I, I do encourage, mm. like, work, f- and, I, and I often say it with, you know, people that I'm working with, like, let's just get a game of social football going. Like, it's a really great team bonding exercise because, you know, boys, girls, men, women, everyone can play. Everyone can have a run around, have a little barbecue at the end of it or whatever, and it's just a really great day. Like, I've played in so many of those kind of charity and exhibition games, and yeah, just the way you bond with people and, uh, you know, when you're playing sport. Look, it could be other sports, but again, this is what I love about football and why I'm so passionate about it because obviously the the physical discrepancy is not 
you know, as big in, in soccer as it may be in AFL or basketball, you know, mm. and some of these other sports. You know, from a team bonding point of view, it's it's fantastic. But again, it could be other sports. Uh, it's not just football, but sport is just such a great way of really bringing people together. Yeah, organise a yeah, there you kick go. around. Managers, there you go, lunchtime uh, soccer match, hey? I'm all for it. I'm happy to facilitate <laughs> it if you like. Ten years from now, or just under ten years, we're going to host the Brisbane 2032 Olympics and currently in the Olympics, there are soccer is is a sport. Yep. Women's open age under twenty three for the men's. Consistently, the biggest drawing crowds at the Olympics, the football events. What are your hopes for the future of Multicultural Australia? With that in mind, you know, I think that the Olympics in in twenty thirty two it'll be great for Brisbane. You know, obviously Sydney had the most recent one, Melbourne had it. I, I think you can see a lot of the infrastructure and development in in Brisbane at the moment. It'll, I think, it'll really you know transform that place and really entrench it entrench itself as Australia's third biggest city and and you know potentially almost on par with Melbourne and Sydney and obviously with yeah all the infrastructure projects and all that going on I mean it's it's already fantastic started to do that hasn't yeah it, with yeah all the absolutely got. yeah yeah so um I, I think that'll you know have a huge effect on on the economy and yeah I think like the the feel good factor we love major events again one of the chapters of the podcast so I think just that feel good factor leading into it will be great and uh multicultural Australia I mean these events they're just so they bring everyone together everyone's in good spirits, harmonious. So I hope we have a great Olympic Games. We win a lot of medals. I hope that the federal government opens up the borders a little bit more. You know, we embrace multiculturalism. Again, the changing face of Australia, which I think the Socceroos and and the Matildas probably reflect better than any other national sporting team. You know, even when you look at the, compare it from 1974, you know, a lot of recent arrivals to now where you've got a lot of African players in the team, particularly in the Socceroos team. Long may that continue and um, the multicultural face of Australia continues because I think a lot of these migrants come here and you look at Ange Postacoglu, born in Greece, came here as a five-year-old, and have a look at the contribution he's made to this this country. That is a great answer. Obviously, you've touched on you. You're quite a busy man. What's your coffee order to do all this great work? <laughs> Pre-midday, it's a double espresso, pronounced double espresso, and afternoon, it's a, an almond latte. Believe it or not, just a change of uh, change of gears. Well, Dave, thank you so much for your time and and your insights. It's been invaluable and I really appreciate it. So thanks for coming on today. Beck, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for your time. If you liked what you heard or think it could help someone else in your team, why not share it? Thanks to the third-party content we used in this episode. Links to the credit source can be found in our show notes. People to you. People for here, there, anywhere.